Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, December 17th. As you listeners are well aware, we have begun our 2020 offseason preview, looking at the players that we think will be most interesting, that have the chance to be the most consequential players to the ATP and WTA tours during the 2020 season. We also want to take this chance to not only look at the obvious ones, you know, a bunch of next-gen guys, Dominic Team, or then I am. Osaka, Bianca Andreescu's, Amanda Nisimova's, Arina Sabalenka's of the world. Are they going to break through at the slam level? That's obviously important. But just as important, the week-in, week-out grind of tour. There's so many 250 events, so many challenger events, so many results going on throughout the globe, and so many tennis players fighting to make a name for themselves that it's easy to get lost. If I asked you right now, you know, who's the 187th ranked player in the world, not only would you have no idea, but you probably wouldn't know much about them as a basic tennis fan, and that is why we here at Cracked Rackets uh, are doing this offseason preview to give you a chance to take a look at maybe some of the lower ranked players who really could become prevalent to you during the 2020 season, and that's why we are so excited to bring on today's guest for the mini break, Mikhail Torpegard. Now, you know, oftentimes it'll be myself, Jamie Metz, Koyak, Max Rothman coming on to this podcast projecting players without actually having the chance to talk to them. Well, today we got to do something really special. Torpegard, who's making his second appearance on our Cracked Rackets podcast, uh, was kind enough, obviously a college tennis guy who we've built a relationship, was kind enough to come on the podcast and very candidly talk about his first full year on the professional circuit, getting a challenger win in Columbus, but so much of his challenger success happening in Ohio. Uh, you know, talking about what progressing into the top 200, getting into slam qualifying at the start of 2020 means to him, his chance to qualify for an event at the City Open, how those sort of moments impacted his confidence, the way he shaped his schedule and the results throughout his season, and also reflect on the things that didn't go as well. You know, for him, he talks about how he really doesn't like the green clay, and maybe he's going to make an adjustment to that moving forward, or the things he wants to work on personally uh, to get his game into a top 100 place. We talk about those topics and much more throughout tonight's podcast. We also, of course, end with a little fun, and as you listeners know, I've been running through people related to college tennis, my changes I have for the sport some fun some a little more serious and Torbergard uh, has a lot of fun with those questions as well so with that in mind enjoy our interview with Mikhail Torbergard Joining us now on the Crack Interview podcast as a five-time All-American while playing at Ohio State, he has certainly earned his status as a college tennis great. He won his second career challenger and experienced much success throughout 2019. It culminated with a year-end ranking of 173, an accomplishment no person could criticize nor demean. And while there's no doubt his racket skills will likely take him far, just wait until you hear what he can do with the guitar. Mikhail Torpegard, welcome back to the Crack Interview podcast it's great to have you thanks so much for having me i like that poem <laughs> i figured i'd work in the guitar bit at the end just to get our listeners ready for it absolutely yeah and i mentioned 173 you know first full year on tour how are you feeling at this point no i'm, I'm great uh it's been a great year uh i couldn't you know in the beginning of the year if someone would have asked me uh, about the ranking wise and, and my ranking on paper i would have probably sold it for 173 so uh <laughs> definitely satisfied with that Oh, no doubt. And we had the chance to see you play uh, in Cleveland at the Challenger. You made the That's final right, there, yeah. obviously, uh, coming off of the challenge the week before you made the final in Columbus. A lot of success in Ohio. I feel like that's not a coincidence. No, that's definitely true. I, I have uh, most of my... Uh most of my success in Ohio for uh, for that matter but uh, no I definitely feel uh, more comfortable playing on in, in in the in that great state than in others but um, <laughs> trying to trying to expand my uh, my results to more than just Ohio because unless they try to put a 
a grand slam within the borders there, it's it's going to be tough only playing well in Ohio. I feel like at this point you should just be granted a spot in the finals of Cincy. It's like, yeah, if it's in Ohio, he's going to make the finals, so we might as well just throw you in there. Listen, if you want to ask uh, the important people uh, <laughs> to make that happen, you know, I'll, I'll be all over it. Yeah, I'm sure they'll listen to me. I feel like I texted Coach Tucker the other day. That's the most important person I know. And just he's like, you, you got to stop this, Alex. Like enough is no. He would, he's very nice. Whatever I text him, but yeah, that would be great to see. And I want to talk about uh, you know all of your success throughout 2019, all of these different things as we go on. Uh, since this is our second time talking to you, we can be specific. And since we last right. spoke, uh, you have now again experienced your first full year on the tour. You talked about rankings wise, but I'm curious for you, just day in day out, the life of the grind of being on tour how was you know your first full year of it no it was it was definitely you know i i I went into it not knowing exactly what to expect and all but i i enjoy you know the traveling part i enjoy you know doing it uh tennis for a living and and all that like it's great you know i've been been really liking the first year so far and and uh you know i feel like uh definitely got a a couple more uh good years to you know, traveling around, playing tournaments, all that, and, and hopefully keep rising on the rankings. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty content with it, to be honest with you. Look, you're a young 25. I don't know what that really means, um, but <laughs> I feel like you're, you know, you've, you've still got some time to uh, really develop on tour. And certainly, you know, to put yourself in the top 200 at the end of the year to get to play Grand Slam qualies, uh, that's going to be great moving forward. But looking back at 2019, I was, as looking through your schedule, you did spend some time in Europe on the clay and on mm-hmm. the grass, but a lot of your season was American challenger, Canada challenger, I guess North American focused. Right, right, was right. that a kind you know, was that something you knew you were going to do heading into the year? Yeah, you know, uh, I try to schedule my uh, my uh, my plans and my tournament plans uh, as far away uh, as humanly possible from slow surfaces. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, stay, staying indoor in Europe, staying on grass, staying on hard court. You know, when it comes to outdoor tournament, this is pretty crucial for my uh, further development. So, uh, so I think that's definitely going to be uh, be you know besides. The slams and all that is going to be the way to go for me. Um, maybe some altitude, maybe not. We'll see. Uh, uh, definitely some stick to the faster surfaces in, in the tournament planning uh, aspect of it. So so that's that for now. Oh, I'm looking at your, I guess, your byline right now, 6'4", 185. Who knows if it's plus or minus 5 at this point. But right, yeah, right. I, I can imagine the faster surfaces would work great. <laughs> right. And I want to talk about you experiencing those other surfaces. But to come into the year, for our listeners who don't know, again, this was your first full season. But you had mm-hmm. played some professional tournaments here and there throughout your time during college. You entered the year ranked number 330. And for our listeners, for perspective, that should get you into a lot of challengers. But of course, you may still have to play qualifying, especially at the beginning of this year with the changes right, in the rankings. Right. Uh, but then you come out in January and make back-to-back challenger finals. From yeah. the get-go, how important were those two results to the rest of your season? Yeah, I mean, you, you know, they meant everything. Uh, in the beginning of the year, you know, I had to play the... In order to get into Cleveland with my ranking, which was, uh, I can't remember what you said, 360 or something around that. And, and it wasn't enough to get me into the main draw of Cleveland. And with the new system kicking in in, in, in the beginning of this year, it kind of meant that... I had to make it or break it in the beginning, uh, getting some points so I could get up there in the in the main draw challengers, and the rest of the year kind of be set. Um, so that was, you know, a lot of pressure in the beginning of the year, but but very lucky it ended up, you know, starting off the year strong and and was able to get into the slams and, uh, uh, qualifications at that point. So I didn't have to worry about, you know, do I go down and play some future so what do i do with the transition tour and all that so it ended up working out well in the beginning of the year that's for sure um i definitely was right on the border going into the year i remember having to play the the wildcard tournament in in cincinnati actually before i went into uh to uh to the main draw of of, of the cleveland tournament and uh, that was that was you know uh, I, I can't do that, unfortunately, every week if I don't uh, get into a main draw. So, so that was definitely uh, a positive thing going into the year, starting off as strong as, as uh, those two tournaments were. 
And of course, you're referring to that top-notch wild card series, which we at Cracker exactly. got to be a part of. And yeah, that's actually I completely forgot that you were the guy who, like, in retrospect, a guy who's now in the top 200 to play that <laughs> event. That's freaking hilarious. Um, yeah, that was funny. Yeah, but I mean, it's obviously it. You know, it, you continue to have success, and you brought something up, and it kind of gets lost because they abandoned it so quickly. But at the beginning of the season, there really was so much confusion with the new transition to a rules, how do points translate, right, right, what right. do you have to play? And, I, you know, looking back, they got rid of it. But in that three, four-month span, you know, how difficult was it to schedule your tournaments in advance? I mean, it was incredible, uh, incredibly difficult and, and very tough place to kind of start with uh, with not much of a ranking going out of college and all that. Um, I was lucky I did, you know, sort of well in the Columbus Challenger uh, the previous year, semi-filed, I think. So I had I had that 360 ranking to even get started at it. Uh, otherwise, I would have had to, you know, grind out the futures and, and try to get up there. And, and, you know, when they then finally reverse the schedule or reverse the, the transition to rules and all that, then... You know, I would have been in a different place, so I, I definitely would have have had to adapt the tournament schedule from the very get go, which would have meant that none of this year would have basically happened. Uh, so it's crazy to think about like how lucky I got in the beginning to kind of just barely make the cut for for Cleveland and then do well there. And, and the Columbus, obviously, I had a wild card, um, but those two, you know, had I had I been injured or had I you know rolled an angle or just played poorly in the first couple of rounds, then. You know, I, I would have I would have been in Mexico by now in some uh, some end of the year just grinding futures, uh, <laughs> trying to trying to get up in the challenger level next year. So, so definitely that uh, I got lucky with that. Certainly, and I feel it wouldn't be a stretch to say you as well as many others are pretty happy they got rid of the transition tour. No, yeah, for sure. Uh, I think I think they did the right thing to kind of reverse it. Um, but not that it ended up affecting me too much, but uh, other than the just the beginnings, the stress of it. But yeah, definitely glad they got rid of it. Yeah, and you said it was luck. I'm going to say it was more skill and, again, the fact that there's no place you are more comfortable than <laughs> Columbus or uh, right. or right. Cleveland. And uh, right. we'll talk, we can talk about Cleveland in a second. I'll start with Columbus. Now that it's a year removed and maybe there's a little less salt in the wound, that uh-huh. three-set loss to JJ in the final. Yeah, you know, great matches six seven six three six four as close as it can right, get. But right. that that stung a little, right? Come on. Yeah, that definitely stung. <laughs> I mean, uh, he's he's uh, also here in Florida. He's currently sitting at the kitchen table eating oh. eating his uh, public sandwich. So uh, I'll I'll definitely talk about how how the loss to him in the finals of Columbus stung a little bit. <laughs> uh, but, no, we uh, could yeah, we could leave that there then. And no, if anything, oh, he no, got extremely no, no, no. lucky. Yeah, yeah. Let's just say that. That. Um, oh, I mean, he obviously had a great week. He was uh, barely giving up games before the final. So I'm, I'm just happy I didn't get waxed one on one or something. You know. <laughs> no. Again, um, if you're looking for gambling trends for those people out there, I'm sure you get the messages. <laughs> if an Ohio State player is playing an Ohio State challenger, one of them's gonna win. That's true. Uh, you know, don't quote me on that, but uh, <laughs> but definitely, uh, definitely, that would be the 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 wise uh, way of of betting those weeks (laughs) yeah for sure and you know over the course of those two weeks again you make that final and then the next week in Cleveland you get wins over guys in Kesmanovic and Schnur who ended the year inside the top 100 and uh, you obviously make the final there so I suppose you know at that point you had to feel pretty comfortable with your level but given that it was your first year on uh, you know full-time on tour how was that adjustment to just being full-time at the challenger level versus playing you know one singles at a high level D1 college you know it was kind of it was actually a kind of nice transition to not knowing who you're gonna like not knowing much about the guys you were playing out there in the next round compared to you know okay we're playing south florida then we know who their uh, number one is so we get all these notes on him and so on and so on but but if you're out in the challenger your first couple weeks your first year or whatever you don't really know the guys out there and kind of you go into the match without any judgment about how you should do or anything so so you kind of just go out there and play and it takes a lot of the pressure off obviously there was pressure coming other places from like the ranking and all that but uh it's a nice feeling like going into a tournament and and you know not really having anything to lose because when you play for Ohio State high in the lineup you kind of have a target on your back the entire time so that transition was actually nice for me mentally um but but definitely you know uh as you as you also 
you know, have a full year under your belt now. You know, I'm starting to get to to know the players a little bit more. There's a, a lot more strategy, you know, beforehand. You you kind of know the play the players better. But in the beginning of the year, it was nice that that it worked that way for sure. I feel like you're like I'd never need to play Max Cressy again. I feel like you're good on that match. Yeah, definitely. You know, <laughs> I, I I usually um, would like to uh, to not play him in in uh, in these tournaments, and, I, and I'm sure uh, there are a lot of players who feel the same way. Because because uh, I I for one would like to have some sort of rhythm throughout an entire match, and, and playing him certainly doesn't give you that. Yeah, no, indoors. I mean, you're playing on carpets. The 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 the, the ball is skidding right, everywhere. Right. It's brutal. Um, uh, but for you, I'm curious on that note because again, we talk about that North American focus schedule. You do see a lot of the same guys in these right. challenger tournaments, and at any point, does that get frustrating or like stale? Where you're just like, I need to see a new group of people, and you know, eventually, in the clay portion, you did head over. Right, to Europe. right. No, I mean, I definitely uh, uh, sat down and thought of of that actually what you just said you know does it does do i need some change in in the opponents and all that but you know as you as you kind of go on and and get to know these players you know you figure out a way to beat them and then you kind of have to worry about your own game to to kind of make that happen so i just I, I like the north american challenger tour so it's not like i sat down and said all right let me just head over to europe real quick for a couple of weeks and then get a change of scenery um Maybe you know a couple of years from now that'll that'll be the case. But for now, I actually really enjoy playing those tournaments, especially uh, especially at the end of the year when it goes indoor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, you get to play spoiler for all the wild card exactly. challenges. That must exactly. yeah, it's got to be a little bit fun. And so you know that brings us to April when you get to the clay portion of the year and you have the Savannah Tallahassee yeah, series right, swing right. and. For for you, uh, I I don't know if that's your first time on the green clay. I'm sure you've practiced on it before, but you know how was the adjustment to pro matches on clay? I'm sure it's been yeah. a while since you've played well, that, you know matches on that. Surface. That definitely wasn't easy. And uh, had I been able to take actually, had I been able to take one thing back schedule wise, like this year, I think I w- it would have been the green clay because. I've have played and have had some success in the past. Like I played the futures when I was in college in Pittsburgh and Buffalo and all those like the plays on that surface. But um, you know, I don't, I, I don't like it, and I don't think I'm ever gonna really like it, especially in a place like Tallahassee where the, it's so warm and and all that. So that plays a factor in it too. So definitely gonna have to probably reconsider uh, playing those the next year. Um, but We'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, I, I definitely would like to to stay away from that for now. That is. Yeah, and you did have the quarterfinal in Tallahassee, which again, good result mm-hmm. there. But what what is it about the surface that you find most challenging? I mean, you mentioned the heat. It's just everything stops. Yeah, I mean, it's no, it's you know, I'm from I'm from Scandinavia where it uh, <laughs> it doesn't really get close to any any of those temperatures. So that was actually the biggest part of it was the heat there. Um, but I think that that just the slow conditions and and people being more used to to kind of the grind mentality and the heat and all that than I was at the time kind of played a factor in in me not really performing that well other than than the the one quarterfinal that week. But you know, it's a it's a mixture of all those things and just me not being used to the surface. You know, I had I had I think before I went pro, I hadn't played in clay, on clay really in in four or five years. Um, like real clay or, or green clay really besides only t- two weeks a year so definitely th- that's also a, a big factor of it sure and what and again there's so much tennis in 2019 my brain might be scrambled <sighs> but was it during one of this stretch that you lost your tennis bag uh, actually that was in Kerry um, that oh. was by the uh, the end of it but yeah that was that was kind of a, a crazy story too yeah, for our listeners who don't know what happened, can you run them through that? Absolutely. Um, so, so it starts in the morning. Um, I have a morning match. I'm actually first on, I think, at ten o'clock, and uh, I am there with my coach Andy Fitzell, and we're getting into the shuttle, uh, getting ready to go to the warm-up. I think it's like, I don't know. We have a court at at nine or so. It's it's eight forty-five. We're we're in the shuttle on the way to the courts, and and uh, we're a bunch of players there. The bags go in the in the kind of the trunk. It's like a little minivan kind of thing. So the doors open outwards instead of like the trunk popping up. 
And um, yeah, sure. halfway through the ride, uh, a woman next to the car like kind of pulls up uh, at the stoplight and and waves at the the transportation driver and tells her to roll roll down the window because um, the trunk was open. Uh, she tells her, and uh, uh, one of the other players, I didn't check personally, but one of the other players runs out. You know, still red light, so he runs out, checks the back. Uh, closes the door and comes back in and he says uh well it, uh, all the backs are there like nothing fell out it's good and uh i'm like wow that was that could have been bad and then i kind of uh you know i have this conversation i forget who it was with but i have this conversation during the time the rest of the trip to the club that that uh, i was really like I, I didn't care too much which which racket like i played with and all that and I, i'm sure that's what jeng- what actually ended up jengsing me in the end because i was like <laughs> yeah i kind of played around with different strings but i kind of stuck with the same wilson racket since i was you know beginning of college and all that i don't want to mess too much with that so uh, i just play with whatever and then i get we get to the venue we get out you know jokes on me the only bag that isn't in the trunk is mine <laughs> and um i kind of like <laughs> You know, I just laughed at myself, laughed at my coach. Like, all right, I guess we're making the trip back to the hotel to try to find my bag. And uh, the transportation lady is nice. She's kind of like looking out like, all right, I'm, I'm looking to the right. My coach is looking to the left if it fell out or any anything. Uh, but anyways, uh, we're kind of stressed by time. And at this point, I'm like, all right, well, we got to think otherwise. So I run up to the hotel, run into JJ's room. And so, uh, I mean, he's playing later that day. So I'm like, give you, give me your rackets. Like I need them. <laughs> and, uh, at this point I'm like, all right, I just take four rackets of his, uh, the shoes. Uh, I had an extra pair of shoes in my back, luckily. And then a bunch of clothes just, all right, we got to go to the warm up now. So I can at least hit like 15 minutes with this, like <laughs> head, head racket. <laughs> And uh, on the way over, I um, we check again. We go into a couple of gas stations. Nothing's there. Nobody picks it up. Like it was just at this point, I'm ready for it to just be gone, you know. And uh, we get to the venue. I shoot a quick text to the to my Wilson guy. Like, all right, listen. Like, I'm not changing the head. I'm just kind of, <laughs> I'm kind of like screwed here. Uh, and he's like, all right, no, no worries, no worries. So I I paint a quick Wilson logo on JJ's head rackets and and. Uh, Head to the court, uh, start warming up, and every, you know, Martin Red Lake. He must have thought like I was playing like some sick joke on him or something. But um, I, uh, I start playing like I win the first set. I have no idea. Like there was so much more power in this racket, but it kind of felt good, so I yeah, didn't panic too much. I win the first. I think it's like six three or six four or whatever. We go into a breaker in the second set. I have five match points and this is all playing with like jj's racket and and kind of not thinking really about it or trying not to think about it at least um i end up choking the second set tiebreaker it ends up like 12 14 or something in his favor and um i sit down in the side break i mean it's hot as hell there and it's it's like the conditions are getting to me all this stress whatever uh and i see someone come running in with my wilson back in the break like the changeover from <laughs> from JJ brings it onto the court and I'm like I'm looking out to my coach and I'm like wait what do I do now like do I change back to my racket or do I keep playing with JJ and he was like you do what you want to do so I'm like all right well I just lost this set um I I guess I'm changing back so I get I I change back to my racket start playing like we we um hold onto two all where <laughs> I mean we he starts cramping in his hand and I start cramping in my leg and it was just a uh, <laughs> massive like i don't even know what to call it like a, a show or whatnot but um <laughs> i end up breaking him twice to go up five two and the last point i just remember i win the last point i walk up to to the net trying not to show him i'm cramping but like i'm I'm five feet from the net the next te- step i take i just full body cramp like <laughs> <laughs> i sit down in the after the match is over we shake hands i sit down and Fischio runs onto the court like ice packs everywhere and whatnot but yeah i mean it's it's a good story for it and and i'm happy it had a happy ending but yeah, uh there's a lot of places i want to go with that at when you blow the match points because i i, I kind of remember this <laughs> right. match did you think i have to smash jj's racket here like i just no, need to destroy I had the this exact opposite thought at this point because <laughs> all right listen i i might be smashing a lot of my own rackets but i'm not i'm not smashing his too so, so I'm like, all right, just 
chill out, don't let go of this racket right now. But it actually helped me, <laughs> as weird as it sounds, it actually helped me calm down a lot. So I was like, all right, this situation is already so absurd. So uh, there's no reason to be mad about it. Um, and I'm like, well, I just kind of sat down and like, all right, what next? And then I see my back coming onto the court and, and all this. But actually, when the story gets even better is <laughs> is the story about who brought me the racket. And that was... So apparently after it fell out of the truck, uh, the trunk of the car that morning, a random um, guy who was an ex-firefighter had picked it up, <laughs> had looked at the name tag on the on the on the back, then Googled my name and saw the live score from my match against Red Licky pop up, and he was like, thought to himself, "Damn, he's he's playing right now, and he doesn't have his back." <laughs> So he had he was actually a lift driver. So he had driven like another guy 30 minutes away from the place. And then he just took time out of his own work and whatnot, like to to go to uh, the clock, the courts and give my racket back back. And what just tops the story and which makes it so like surreal is that the guy's name, like the guy's the guy's last name was Wilson. <laughs> and he comes on the court, whatever. And after uh, he actually left before I could thank him after the match, but he got to stay for the rest, and and we gave him uh, tickets for the rest of the week, so I got to say thanks there. But um, I texted him after because I got his number off the tournament desk, and um, I was like, yeah, I, I mean, thank you so much. I can't I can't believe like that happened, and, <laughs> and I ended up winning. I'm I mean, I got his Venmo and and gave him gave him a couple hundred bucks just just as <laughs> as, a, as a thank you for that one because. I mean, that was unbelievable. He was like, yeah, I'm an ex-firefighter. If I see something on the side of the road, I pick it up. Like, yeah, I was just so lucky that it was him and not just... I mean, I was ready to just look through eBay and Facebook Marketplace for my, buying my <laughs> back at the end of the day, you know? <laughs> yeah, you're going to see, like, a Mikhail Torbegaard name tag, exactly. like, uh... free reign into carry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is... I mean, that's incredible. And so he just... He brings your rackets. You get the bag. I mean, at any point when you hit a forehand winner, were you like, yep, that's the JJ racket? Oh, my God, I wish. I mean, if that was the case, <laughs> I would still be playing with the racket. But <laughs> but, uh, but no, I, I definitely... It, you know, it was different for sure. But the only real time I struggled was when he hit a ball hard through the middle. And mm-hmm. so there's so much power in the racket that no matter what I did, like if I just tried to bund it back, it would hit like the back fence. But if if I also just try to hit it back, it would also hit the back fence. So it's kind of like, all right, well, I hope he doesn't figure out that he all like he has to just hit flat balls to the middle, and I can't really do anything. But luckily, like the serve was kind of good with it. Like everything like worked out. So so definitely, uh, yeah. if I if I, I didn't love- if I didn't uh, didn't have such a good relationship with Wilson, I, m- I might have considered the the change at that point. Yeah, I love – there's, two, again, two details I love is, A, that you call your Wilson rep and you're like, look, this is not personal. And you're like, can I put a W on this and we'll call it even? And he's like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, yeah. That's amazing. I mean, he was amazing. I mean, props to him also. He was, like, ready to send me, like, six brand-new rackets just arrived with the, the next day, like, with the Express. Like, he was so chill about it. So, yeah, I was, you know, happy with him there too. But I sent him the – Maybe I should have just not uh, told him I found they found the bag and just taken the six new new Wilson rackets. Yeah, no, it's going to be part of the Wilson family. The other best part is that the guy finds the bag and then he googles you. He's like, oh, oh, I'm going to. F- this is a really. He's like, this is a really good tennis bag. Like this guy <laughs> must be legitimate, and right. he looks you up. I'm surprised he didn't like place a quick bet against you. Wait 45 <laughs> minutes and then bring it back. Be like, oh yeah, I I found it. Place uh, place a quick bet on me. Broken all my rackets and brought it back. <laughs> You could have made a lot of money. Uh, that seriously missed opportunity for him right. at the very least but no i mean he did make some money i suppose well, at venmo and yeah good people out there still yeah, exactly <laughs> it renews your faith in world and again southern Hasp- hospitality is a thing exactly. for a reason um but introducing coco golf's signature shoe more than just a tennis shoe it's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette it's designed to enhance speed and power on the court the multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out the coco cg1 empowers you to dominate the game learn more and purchase the coco cg1 at newbalance.com to get back on topic we left off on the clay and you you know you talk about you enjoying 
quicker surfaces, indoor right. hard courts, obviously. But this year you got the experience not only to play on the clay, but also to play on the grass courts a little bit. And for, again, a big guy, a guy who's not afraid to move forward, mm-hmm. uh, grass is a surface that I'm sure you could see yourself having success in. And, you know, at Wimbledon, uh, you win a qualifying round there, uh, losing three sets to Tommy Paul in the second right. round. But how was your first experience on the grass? I mean, it was amazing. I played in juniors once before, and I grew up on, you know, carpet and wooden floor that, you know, doesn't have much of a bounce either. And, and definitely my favorite, you know, surface uh, of, of all of them is definitely grass. Um, you know, I, I grew just the fact that I grew up on wooden floor and, and have that kind of, you know, I, in juniors, I played with a baseball backhand and a forehand hack slice. So that kind of <laughs> helps on that, that surface too. So. Uh, definitely, uh, grass is my favorite uh, um, surface. Uh, and and had I not, you know, I mean, it was it would have been a tough draw. I would have played Vesely, who ended up qualifying and then beating who was it like Varinka or something? no? Uh, no, that? he had a seated win. I, again, they yeah. all are scrambled at this point. It might have been yeah. Tsitsipas. No, it was, Vira. Uh, it I was, think was one Vira. of the big names, but either way, yeah. like I mean, I kind of choked that, but. But uh, it was, I mean, I, I just felt so comfortable in grass. Like, I can't wait to go back next year. It's definitely going to be, uh, uh, you know, now that I know kind of like the, the pressure it comes with playing Grand Slams and all that, like, I'll feel more comfortable uh, around that too. And, and I'm, I'm really confident going into that specific tournament, that's for sure. I'm glad you brought up the forehand slice because, yeah, I didn't get to see the match, but I can only imagine how many times you brought it out. Oof, it works wonders on grass. <laughs> I look forward to seeing it, hopefully. But you talked about uh, getting a level of comfort at the slams. You played qualifying at three of them. I don't know if you're planning to go to Australia, but certainly your ranking would allow you to. I am uh, definitely planning to go. Oh, beautiful. And I look forward to that, and we'll get about keep that in mind but how was your first run through slam qualities even though you didn't qualify you got wins at all three events how does that help you prepare for 2020 no it's it's a huge confident booster that's for sure um just you know being at the events kind of being around everything that goes on during the events and and getting a win and in some of them i mean it's just you know I don't know how to explain it, but it definitely eases your mind going into the next ones, if that makes sense. So so that all the pressure of the top kind of taking off. But um, I'm, I'm working a lot mentally with with, uh, with a couple of things. So so having just, you know, the knowledge of, of what to expect when getting to those big events is just everything. And, and getting that out of the way in the first year of playing pro, you know, I'm very happy with. Yeah, and it wasn't just the slams. You also got to play the City Open. You got to play right. Atlanta. In right. D.C. in particular, you qualified for right. the main draw there. How, again, knowing that you can hang at that level, that has to give you some sort of mental boost. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, just as you mentioned earlier, just playing, you know, in Cleveland, beating a couple top 100 players and all that, or who would turn out to be top 100 players by the end of the year, you know, gives a, I mean, that's the biggest confident booster there is, just knowing that you can, that you belong with those guys and and uh and definitely uh, i mean the the only thing is you got to do it more consistently uh in order to be there so so that's what i've been working on being more consistent with my serve and with my approach game and as you say like my my game i mean i'm uh, i'm pretty tall and and pretty lanky and all that so going you know big serves and and just seeking to the net is is going to be a big part of that and i've been working you know, I'm currently working on it here in Florida in the off season, and and you know, if I get the consistency in that, you know, I'm sure I'll be able to uh, within the next. Hopefully, the goal is next year, but within the next couple of years, uh, be established top hundred. Would you say that's the biggest difference right now uh, between your game and maybe a top 100 player? Not that there's big differences, but that the way a top, or, you know, to solidify yourself in the top 100, you think you need to improve moving forward, just maybe being a little bit more aggressive at the average time in the point? Yes, very. Um, I mean, I've always been in college. I was kind of scrapping around, mm-hmm. you know, 10 feet behind the baseline, hoping that people will miss. And oh, I remember. That, <laughs> I mean, yeah, seriously, being in that mindset. Um, through basically my entire career has put me at a little bit of a disadvantage going into the pro just because it's been so hard to change my mindset into being more aggressive because in tight situations, you know, 
I'm gonna resolve back to the bad, bad habits of just hacking foreign slices and kind of <laughs> not really doing the right thing. So that's what I've been working with, and already have shown results now that that uh, in tight situations I'll, I'm able to play more aggressive and on my terms and stuff like that. So definitely, that is the biggest thing, like for me personally, to uh, to overcome fully in order to be a top hundred player. And would you say it's more of the forehand approach than the backhand? Because I, I think the backhand you hit through as well as anyone. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think it's it it all comes down to the forehand uh, mm-hmm. approach and, and and coming forward and just hitting in in front of me instead of you know whatever my weird stroke will allow me to hit behind me. <laughs> um, yeah, of course. So definitely that, and just the fact that you know my my service got more. Uh, um, consistent now towards the end of the year so definitely once i get a, whole, a hang of this which i'm i'm really comfortable with, or confident will come soon is is uh is kind of my recipe i think personally for for top hunters yeah and you you mentioned getting out of the habits you know that you've built and two of my favorite matches i've ever seen are you know the match you played against nuno in the nca quarterfinals that four oh, yeah, three yeah. and then the one where you beat petros in the indoor semifinals again a four three uh-huh. match there and so you that's my way of saying you have played high pressure matches you understand you know in those right. situations it was college it was no ad but i'm curious how did that college pressure prepare you for say you know third set against marius copel or third set in a grand slam qualifying do you feel those same sorts of pressures or now that it's you know you're a professional you're on your own is it a little bit different no it's the same pressure just you know a little bit of different backgrounds for it you know because obviously you have an entire team in college like depending on you if you play the clinching point at three all um but but also you kind of play for you know a living and and money and whatnot and, and pros so it's it's a little bit hard to compare those two things but i'll definitely say that that a lot of the pressure can be uh, compared and and it's nice to have already experienced in college that has given me a head start into the pros so in that way definitely i would say so do you miss the on-court coaching do you miss tucker in your ear <laughs> um yes and no um because <laughs> It works both ways, you know. Your opponent also has a coach on the court, so. Sure. Um, I don't. I don't really know. I haven't really thought about it that much, but I think I think it's nice to be out there on my own. Um, you know, in the U.S. Open this year in the qualifications, um, they actually allowed coaching, mm-hmm. um, which I didn't know all the way up until I was, you know, at the coin toss of the match, um, <laughs> and neither of my coaches knew either, obviously. So during the changeovers during points if you're in the same half as your coach is sitting like they could talk to you and all that so i got a taste of kind of like the difference between that so which was a little bit strange but you know it's nice to have fresh eyes on it because when you're out there and you you choke five set points and lose the second and have to go to a third you know sometimes all i see is red so <laughs> definitely nice definitely nice to have, have a couple fresh eyes to kind of tell me all right listen like go back to the basics of the strategies we kind of made out to beat this guy so um no i was gonna say i think that red is just the wilson paint i think you got some in your eye oh yeah yeah definitely <laughs> yeah I think that's it happens quite a lot so i need maybe i need to play with glasses <laughs> Yeah, exactly. No, that must be nice. Well, Just to prevent it. Yeah, exactly. Well, you, you know, you talked about uh, the things you want to work on this off season, and you mentioned you're in uh-huh. Orlando uh, this week. But I'm curious for you. Uh, I, I know you had last off season, but given where your ranking is now, you're preparing for a big trip to Australia. How do you approach this off season? You know, getting ready for that second full year on tour to try and make another big jump. Well, we're definitely uh, working a, a lot more um on the physique part of it like getting stronger getting uh the endurance up uh which is why we're doing it in florida here to get used to some of the heat because unfortunately columbus is a great city but it doesn't offer uh, a lot of places where you can you can uh, experience the same heat as in australia um so we're here i'm working a lot on the endurance part of it i'm working a lot on these things mentioned before with the serve with the coming forward consistency in in, in those two things and pressured moments so i think this is this setup right here is pretty optimal for for preparing for that and i'm i'm really motivated and excited to to get started again with a new year and, and you know off season isn't 
you know, as long as, as other sports have it. So we got to make the most of, of this month uh, we have to prepare for yeah. for the new season. And, and then it's extremely, like, fortunate that, that the first tournament or the second tournament, I guess, because we're playing Numea uh, to get ready for Australia. But at the second tournament is Australian Open. So you have that huge motivational factor for just keep grinding, like, in the off season and, and the heat. And when it's tough to tough to run around, you know, four or five hours a day and, and practice it's it's good to have some some light at the end of the tunnel oh yeah for and i will say personally i'm devastated because i will be at that ann arbor challenger uh oh, that's that's it. my hometown and so you yeah know, for yeah i know you're going to be missing that but you given that you have the two challenger finals uh coming off in january still uh you know why was the decision to make the trip to australia was it just you know you're going to need to to exceed to succeed at the highest levels that's where you got to go yeah 100 percent. i mean the goal isn't to to be playing these challengers for another full year uh the goal is definitely to be playing tour events and, and grand slam main draws and all that so uh the, the decision in that regard was pretty easy going to australia instead of ann arbor um you know i wasn't born into the rivalry but ann arbor doesn't really speak that that highly to me uh, anyways uh, maybe next time you ask me a question I, I don't really want to answer I can just flip it around to the OSU game <laughs> <laughs> no speaking of Coach Tucker that was the response I got when I reached out to him he just sent oh, me no. just scores that's all he does <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, no. So that makes sense. Yeah, I, I would get that why you want to go down to Australia, and I want to talk about some non-tennis things. So I guess my last tennis question would be: Absolutely. for you setting goals for 2020, because again, it's been a steady ascension, and particularly the jump you made, given it was your first full year into the top 200, that certainly right. inspires confidence. But for you, uh, moving into 2020, is it you know week by week, month by month, match by match? I know that's very cliche. Or as you look at the season, do you set some long-term goals and you know some benchmarks you want to hit well the goal uh, going into the season is definitely top 100 by the end of the year um unfortunately i mean it's it's tough to to really say if that's realistic or not because it is so as you say match match to match base and and feeling base and and hopefully i'll be able to stay injury free and all that to to be able to realistically accomplish that but uh that is the overarching goal and, uh, you know, I'm not trying to to be one of those guys that are out on the Challenger Tour for six years, like trying to break through and all that. So I'm, I'm definitely setting like very high goals and, and uh, in my eyes, uh, you know, realistic goals for, for what I want to do with next year. But it is going to have to be, you know, we take a month at a time, a couple of weeks at a time and then schedule new tournaments, regard, you know, regarding where I'm at at that point. So. So it is definitely uh, tough to sit here and say, you know, exactly where I want to be in a, a year from now. But that's, you know, the o- overarching goal. Yeah, absolutely. And look, uh, if you don't mind me saying, again, 6'4", putting on weight now, as you just mentioned, so almost 200 pounds. That right. is the archetype right. of a modern-day top 100 player. So exactly. I think I speak for fans everywhere when I say we are excited to watch you play in 2020. But I, another thing, personally, I'm excited for, and I think fans of tennis should be, is you know you are not just a tennis player, as I mentioned in the <laughs> poem. You've got some off-court skills as well. And uh, right. I know one of the things you channel uh, your skills into when you're not on the court is music. Mm-hmm. And so I believe, Absolutely. true or false, there's a new album coming out. There, that is very true. Uh, we actually just last week finished the final uh, tracking and recording of the album. So now it's uh, it's actually in the hands of our producer to get it done and ready for for a full release. Um, in uh, basically, we're hoping for January first, twenty twenty. Damn. All right. So again, an, an album, people dabble in music. You know, we all have my, I, this is not my professional work. I do something else, but uh, this is my creative output, right? I like to come on here, have right, conversations, right, make right. shitty jokes, uh, do what I got to do to get uh, <laughs> all of my uh, stuff, you know, satisfied. Right. But for you, is is that what you turn to with music? Is that your channel to get out? You know, you mentioned you see red, the frustrations and the ups and downs that come with a professional tennis career. No, you know, it, it is definitely uh, an outlet for a lot of things that goes on in my head, uh, you know, in, in the tennis world and all that. And as you say, uh, 
I channel kind of a lot of the things at the end of, I mean, imagine like a, a long day like this, uh, four or five hours on the court in the gym, whatever. Uh, at the end of the day, I'm just, you know, instead of putting on the TV show or whatnot, uh, I do that sometimes too, but, but <laughs> at just be, being able to pick up my guitar and just play whatever I want to, it's kind of like therapeutic, uh, for me. So just having that keeps, I'd like to, to think that it really keeps me sane having like uh, a quote a quote unquote like hobby kind of uh, in music and and now that that uh, it actually took off quite a quite a bit it's a little more than a hobby now that we're releasing you know we just released our ep and then releasing an album here in, in january it's just you know a, a lot of fun just for me personally uh, to to put some time into that and and now that we finally have a, a band uh, together and and we want to do this it's it's been it's been a very fun ride yeah, anyone can dabble in music, but you, as you mentioned, an album. I mean, that takes work. Where do you find the, like? How do you find the time to record a full album? And give me the rundown <laughs> on the band. Is Herco part of the band? Herco is still the drummer. Herco is <laughs> uh, Herco's definitely a, a part of the band, and uh, and and will be for uh, for as long as the band uh, is is uh, together. That's for sure. You know, it started out with just me and Herco, and then we found uh, a couple other extremely talented uh, musicians that wanted to. Uh, to join in on the on the fun so you know we we got extremely lucky found a, a producer who really liked uh, what we did and our stories from the tennis world and all that so he wanted to help us out with that um and he's the one who's who's currently finalizing the mixing and mastering of our, our of our album uh coming out here soon so definitely it's uh it's fun is there a song title of columbus challenger just the most inspirational event you know there should be. Um, I've actually, you know, I, a lot of the the stuff like because I do uh, I write the lyrics for mm-hmm. for all of our songs. Um, I play guitar and I also sing the songs. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the lyrics, you know, are inspired uh, of psychology, and I draw a lot of those things from the psychology, the dreaming, the whatever. Um, else i write about i draw them from the tennis you know what goes on like when you're alone on the court and and goes on at the end of a long practice day all that like i I like to draw inspiration from from the tennis world and all that so that definitely plays a a huge factor and then you know and the inspiration i get from for my lyrics and and my music in general yeah certainly and do we what is the album title i don't know if you said it earlier so the album title is actually going to be drawn to delirium Ooh. and uh you know the genre we do play it is metal um and we have to you know speak to a certain audience but i i try to kind of turn it around because i don't want to be that stereotype you know the metal like woohoo i'm gonna stab you at the next concert you know (laughs) that kind of like stereotype i try to stay away from that and if you look at me and herco you know i mean we don't really look like the next big metal band we look like you know we could have been a part of Backstreet Boys, if anything. So, <laughs> well, I'll say so, this: Herco could stab someone at the next metal concert. <laughs> <laughs> Herco's like the the blonde eyed blue uh, or uh, blue eyed blonde haired like the most innocent kid you'll ever meet. Yeah, but when that I mean, look, have I ever met him? No, but I've seen the photos, and when the hair gets long and the beard gets oh, shaggy, that's true. I guess he, I guess I can see that. Yeah, he could stab. No, but but I want to get out of that stereotype, and you know, just just have people appreciate the music and and whatnot, and. Uh, you know, it's fun. Like we we have a actually a, a release a show in Columbus uh, coming up here, and when I get back in February to to kind of promote the the album and the the EP and everything. So it's it'll be fun trying to to perform on a different kind of stage too. Yeah, I will tell you, my college roommate just exclusively would listen to metal uh, to get us oh, pumped yeah? for a work. Uh, he's like, let's go work out, and you just play metal, and you get. It really isn't. Nice. There is nothing that will get you more prepared mentally and just physically and get you amped up. Um, no, for sure. It's a lot of energy in it, and that's what I like so much about it. But people, you know, seem to, if they don't know what it is, I mean, I like to compare it to kind of, if I have to explain why I like it so much or, or what to expect of metal, it's it's kind of like coffee, you know? <laughs> Nobody likes it the first time they, they drink it, but once you keep drinking it, like, you're not going to stop. Yeah. It is something about the energy. It is something about, like, the, the outlet of, of energy and all that. And just the very like complicated and like guitar play riffs whatever drums you name it like metal is is 
it's not a it's not as evil as as most people make it out to be. No, I completely agree with you. And now when you're slamming forehand approach shots, I'm gonna know the sound behind it. I'm gonna hear oh, the yeah. song and just know that's where that aggression is coming from. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. No. Of course. All right. Well, then the last thing I want to do with you because uh, and again the album for our listeners. Hopefully, maybe we'll have a song included in this. I don't know if Dalton reached out to you, but if you're interested, as the intro outro, he didn't actually. But yeah, definitely. We actually just got on Spotify and, and Apple Music and all those streaming services here a couple of weeks back uh, with our EP, the first four songs of the the album, just to give it a little, uh, give people a little taste of what's what it's all about. Um, so our, we we're out on Spotify uh, with the EP. What's that's called Non Compos Mentis, okay. which is kind of Latin for insanity. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, and under the the band name Mardrum, which uh, is a Swedish name. Okay. Um, but yeah, definitely uh, it'd be fun if you if Dalton uh, could could put a. A piece from the EP on that. No, no, we absolutely can do that. Um, but I end it for our listeners again. Go check that out. We are so excited. But I want to have a little fun with you. I got two questions for you, uh, completely absolutely. random, um, and they'll be easy ones. But it's on the theme of reforms I would make for college tennis, and it's part of the theme is we're doing our college tennis preview, uh, uh-huh. and over the course of it, we've gotten to interview a bunch of the coaches, and so I've been asking them. But you, you know, you were in the thick of it. You've played the highest level matches. I mentioned ITA finals, NCAA championships. Uh, my favorite. Favorite yeah. stat about you, and I say this lovingly, is that your last three years you lost to Mackie, Petros, and I think it was uh, Ty. All and those well, were the three champs. Yeah, and the fourth year I lost to Petros, which also won it. So all four years I lost to the guy who won. That's it. just insane. I, I again, that's ridiculous. But uh, so <laughs> yeah, so again, it speaks to the fact that you've seen all levels of college tennis. And so right. some of the reforms I have are pretty stupid, and I'm just going to throw them by you now. One of them, Absolutely. one of the stupidest things I think we could get rid of and make incredibly more fun is the coin toss in college tennis. I just think a coin toss is so boring. If we're going to compete between these two teams, absolutely, let's fight for it. Yeah, oh, it's a quick two. <laughs> minute fist fight about who gets the so, first I'm, I'm all there with so you. i like that although some teams may not but an alternative to that what if all six flights you just play rock paper scissors and like um absolutely the crowd goes nuts Ohio, you know tucker would have a strategy he'd be like we're all throwing paper like that's what ohio state <laughs> does paper is the least efficient look at the notes it's 44 percent of the time all of these things and you're just like just the crowd imagine your guys are in columbus all six of you win rock paper scissors the crowd goes nuts i mean i i i've never thought of this this is the greatest idea i've ever heard I mean, you call it stupid. I I think it's genius. So I'm not going to lie. Some coaches, Rodini was like, no, we're not going to do that. But he was open to my alternative, which is we have the head coaches drop and hit point. Just one point to decide server on every court. Wow. That's a lot of pressure. I mean, uh, and it's just the head coach. You don't get to to call a friend in the the assistant or the volunteer. Nope. Tucker versus Bolin, no line judges. I I like I like Tucker's thoughts on that one. Yeah, look, I love both. I'm I like both men personally. You know, they're great guys. I would watch it a hundred percent. I'm in. Oh my god, you'll get so many. Uh, I mean, so many funny uh, outcomes. Of those I absolutely agree with both of those. The both the rock paper scissor idea and the and the drop and hit by the coaches. Yeah, and so then my other one for you, and this is. I think more more serious because you know you uh, had college tennis as a way to help your development. Obviously, you know helps mm-hmm. you get get to the form you're at when you go pro and have that immediate right. success. Um, right. But to spice up the average college tennis match and to give home court uh, teams a, a bigger advantage, as opposed to one through six lineups, a rule I would like is lawless lineups, where the home team, you know, the the away team says, "Hey, here's our lineup," and then the home team gets to match however they'd like. Wow. Um, so I call well, this the if, stop Ohio State from beating Michigan rule, where we get to set the lineup and it's uh, like, yeah, Torp, you're playing the six uh, guy. Yeah, you might have actually saved our home streak if you would have implement, <laughs> implemented that uh, that rule a little bit earlier. <laughs> so so Oklahoma wouldn't have, uh, have beaten us. But uh, but uh, besides that one exception, I would like to, to keep the streak against Mich- Michigan alive and, and have, to, uh, have to veto that one. <laughs> yeah, right. Because you want to play one singles guys the whole time, right? You don't want to waste your time. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. That's the thing about uh, that. Like, there would be so many. I mean, basically, what what you're doing there is like putting half of the matches that the home guy or the home team can can match. Like, basically, one, two, and three every time would be playing the opponent's team four, five, and six. 
Mm-hmm. So that already, like, in most cases, would be, like, one and one, two and one, O and O matches, you know? Um, if, you, if you're playing, okay, if, if the teams are both in top 10, it's going to look different if the team are even. But there, there would be a lot, a lot, a lot of matches that would, you know, end in... 25 minutes so again and this is where we really get off the deep end but the amendment to the rule then is if a player wins his match he can sub into another match so let's say you win that six match oh and oh and your guy is down six two three one at one singles tucker can go all right you're out you know chris diaz i love you but you're out torps in (laughs) um and it's just that's basically like club tennis exactly now we're talking yeah i can i can kind of see that so so the one guy just just has to finish as quick as possible and then run down to course six and just start hitting aces. And it's like you can't say you didn't get your workout in because you played seven sets. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So how many subs do you get? Like, do you only get the sub once or do you get to, uh, to keep so, going? So I haven't talked it over with the rule committee yet, but we were thinking oh. we were thinking two subs, two subs max. Per player or per team? Uh, per team. So you only get to sub twice. Okay, so... Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm beginning to like the sound of this. Yeah, the other alternative is just lawless doubles, because I think one set of no ad tennis, anyone can win that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I'm I'm working for compromises. I just I think we could have fun with it. At the very least, I want to see these coaches hitting. Like we have some uh, really good coaches. <laughs> definitely. Then then the college teams would start hiring head coaches to <laughs> just literally previous. Grand Slam winners try to get them on there just to win that one coin toss. No, it'd be amazing. It's just like John Roddick goes out there and it's like he has to play. Let's say Andy someday <laughs> takes a coaching job. It's like they're facing. I mean, there's a lot of fun scenarios. Oh, I can definitely see that. I like that rule a lot. <laughs> I appreciate it. Well, you know, again, Torp, you've been so kind with your time. I told you before, if the interview went well, I'm going out. Well, I'm definitely going out tonight uh, because <laughs> this was a blast. Uh, again, I want to give you one last chance. For our listeners who I'm sure want to hear you drop the hammer in your new album, let them know uh, you know, where they can find that. They can find it anywhere. We're on all the streaming services, Spotify, Tidal, Apple Music, YouTube, you name it, we're there. Um, absolutely. It's been a blast being on here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, Torb. And good luck to you as you get ready for Australia. Look for, I appreciate I, I'm it, I'm feeling good. We're feeling good about this year. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, all right. Take care, man. All right, you too. Hope you enjoyed our podcast with former Ohio State All-American and current world number 173, Mikhail Torpegard. Uh, again, we really appreciate Torp being as honest, as forthright as he was about the many things he struggled with, as well as his successes during the 2019 season. And I think I speak for everyone here at Cracked Rackets, uh, people who know him when we say we are so excited for his game because, you know, it's not only the talent, but off the court as well. You can tell this is a very well-rounded individual. And, you know, you've just listened to this guy got an album. I mean, it's not just tennis that he succeeds, and he's a talented, multifaceted guy across many different, uh, you know, genres of items. And we're just so excited for a personality, a talent, a character like Torpegarda. Again, such a kind man as well. Um, to be thriving in our sport, and we wish the best for him moving forward in 2020. But if you want to hear more, you know, his story intrigues you, you want to hear more about players like him, or you just want to hear more about the players we think are most interesting going into the 2020 season, uh, be sure to check out the rest of our mini breaks through this 2020 offseason preview process. Nina Pantich of Tennis.com came on on Monday to talk about Naomi Osaka. We've talked about Hubie Hercatch. We've talked about Matteo Berrettini, the Canadian guys with Ben Lewis of the Matchpoint Canada podcast. A lot of fun pods coming out recently. And of course, uh, you know, if you've missed anything else from the Tennis World, our Cracked Interviews podcast getting you all ready uh, for the college tennis season. We've talked to the coaches of teams ranked 10 through 4 thus far on the men's side, or 10 through 5, excuse me, number 14 Florida coming this week uh, but uh, that uh, and more explored in our college contender series we also found on the mini break and our website crackedrackets.com as well and then on the great shot podcast known as you listeners know you see it everywhere it's the end of the decade 2019 we all see the calendar 10 years of tennis in the books what are the biggest storylines what are the things we've learned as a tennis uh, following cohort to come out of these 10 years be sure to go check out all of our stories that we've talked about and more on our gsp best of the decade podcast again on the great shot podcast this week we've got ben rothenberg coming on for our third 
uh, year in a row to talk about the next-gen guys and what the past 10 years looked like for those young players and hopefully what the next 10 years will look like for them as well. The last thing I want to tell you listeners, because it is almost over, our Crack Rackets Aero Bar Giveaway, our new sponsor, Aero Bar, a tennis-specific energy bar, more potassium than a banana, more delicious than any of the you know, junk you're putting into your body right now, uh, and also more healthy, but to help celebrate, commiserate our opening sponsorship, they were kind enough to send us a signed John Isner racket. Uh, now, for you listeners who are interested in that, as a giveaway to you listeners, they said we can give it away to the fan uh, as part of our raffle, and the way you sign up for that raffle, you leave a review on this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, the Cracked Interviews Podcast. For each review you leave on the pods, your name will be entered into the raffle one time, and get yourself a chance to get a late Christmas gift. You need that extra bonus again for your doubles partner, for your parents, whoever tennis-related love of your life. Uh, this is the gift for them, so make holiday shopping easy. Just go leave a little five-second review that you can do from anywhere, and then I can start bo- stop bothering you about this competition. Uh, I also, one thing I will always bother you listeners about, though, our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, who have a f***ing editing job to do, as always, and continue to kill it week in, week out for you fans to keep you up to date with all things from the tennis world. But... With that in mind, for our lovely guest today, Mikhail Torpegard, who, again, we wish all the luck in the world to in 2020. For our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, and from our entire teams at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. We will see you tomorrow with College Contenders, and you know what we say. That's the break. Take it easy, everyone. So incomplete, so out of line